the human mind, body, emotions, and spirit are more powerful than anyone can imagine. And we will learn to utilize each of them to the maximum and learn to make decisions about what we want and how we want to feel. What a concept. And one we will explore today on The Self-Improvement Show with your host, Dr. Irene Conlon. On our program, we'll address who you are, why you're here on this planet, how to go within, how to come to know what you believe and why. Now, here's your host, Dr. Irene Conlon. Welcome to the Self-Improvement Show. This is Irene Conlon. We're broadcasting from Fountain Hills, Arizona, and I'm so happy that you're with us today. Uh, We have a really interesting show on midlife crisis Go to the self-improvement blog if you haven't already to see our guest picture, read her bio, um, take a look around while you're there, but don't spend too much time right there now. Go back later. You know, when we see an older man driving an expensive sports car, we laughingly say he's in his midlife crisis and this is his midlife crisis car, you know. And women joke about their hot flashes as they go into menopause and we see cartoons of women with their heads stuck in the freezer to cool off. And sometimes that's how you feel. A study in Great Britain lists the top 40 signs of a midlife crisis. We won't go into uh, to look at all 40, but some of the top ones in that 10 are desiring a simpler life. You know, we we want to you know, tone it down a little bit. You start looking up old boyfriends and girlfriends on Facebook and other places. You finally realize you're never going to be able to pay off your mortgage, and that's a little painful. You reminisce excessively about childhood, and many fret over their thinning hair. And you can go on to read 35 more that are just about like that. In midlife, we're met with an ever-increasing number of losses, losses of all kinds, death of friends and loved ones, loss of productivity, perhaps loss of a marriage or relationship, loss of a job. The question is, how do we deal with it all? We're going to talk about that today, and as usual, we have an expert Janice Clark Johnston has been a school psychologist in public schools, supervising psychologist at a mental health center, employee assistance therapist, and private practice family psychologist. Does that tell you she knows something about what she's going to talk about? She's led many staff development workshops for schools and industry on parenting, child development, assertiveness, discipline, problem-solving, sexual abuse prevention, behavior disorder intervention, stress management, and grieving. She received the 2011 Founders Award in appreciation for her dedication to the mission of Parenthesis Family Center. She has served on the boards of DePaul University Family Law Center, Parenthesis, and Oak Park Education Foundation, a community group augmenting public schools with creative programming I don't know when we've needed that more. She's the author of the recently published Midlife Maze, A Map to Recovery and Rediscovery After Loss. And it's my absolute delight and pleasure to introduce to welcome Janice Johnston to the Self-Improvement Show. Janice, welcome. Thank you, Irene. I'm very pleased to talk with you today. 
Well, I'm delighted. I found your book absolutely wonderful. And, you know, I, I know people can find it on the self-improvement blog. And they really, you know, if they're even anywhere in the distance of midlife, they need to get your book. Um, we're going to talk about it today. You know, your book is called Midlife Crisis. What prompted you to write, you know, and, and you know, but, but wait a minute. I got ahead of myself. Tell us about yourself. Who is Janice Johnson? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Well, you told all of the professional things, but... Yeah, but that's not who you are. (laughs) That's right. I was just going to add in some of the more personal things. So I am a mom. I have two children, two adult children who are in midlife. I am someone who has experienced loss. Unfortunately, my beloved husband died of a sudden heart attack when he was 54. I was 52 at the time. I also experienced loss in my family when my younger brother lost his first wife to breast cancer and then later his second wife to pancreatic cancer. Oh, my. My father lived a long life. He did not die in midlife, the way both my sisters-in-law and my husband died. My father lived to 90, but he died of Parkinsonian dementia. So we were actually, in our family, grieving the loss of his functioning for a number of years before he died. So personally, I have experienced loss, and what I found in my practice as a family therapist, was that most of my midlife clients were experiencing one loss after another. Midlife is the time when a lot of us lose parents. It's also a time when people lose jobs. Sometimes that's not a big deal, but often it's a very big deal. And in our culture today, a lot of people, as you mentioned, might lose a marriage or might lose a lover if they're just at the beginning of midlife and they're looking to find a special person. There is a lot of loss in midlife, and that's not when people want to deal with it. Heck, I didn't want to deal with it myself in my I didn't either. You cite a a quote by psychologist Orvin Brim in the introduction to your book. You say, middle age is the longest development stage, but it's called the last uncharted territory in human development. There seems to be a number of definitions of when midlife crisis occurs. You wrote about it in your book. What years do you use to define midlife, and why is this part of our aging and development uncharted territory? Good questions. So I took the wide definition for midlife that is part of a longitudinal study called MIDUS, M-I-D-U-S, and that study stands for midlife in the U.S. In that longitudinal study, it was determined that midlife goes from age 35 to 64, That is a long piece of development. 
Yeah, it is. Mm -hmm. The reason that it's called Uncharted by Dr. Brim is that we have so many books in psychology about babies, about adolescents. We don't have so many books about midlife. In fact, when I went to graduate school, I did my graduate work at Boston University and came out with a doctorate in counseling psychology, I didn't have a course on either parenting or midlife. I had all kinds of other courses on development, certainly on child development, adolescent development, psychology of the young adult. There were no classes on midlife. And we still, in psychology programs, are not as apt to have that as a course. Is that one of the reasons why you decided to write the book, because there's so little information about midlife? Yes, it is indeed one of the reasons. And coupled with the idea that our culture does not really work very much on this topic of grief. In fact, we would prefer to have that simple rule, take three days off, come back, jump back into the saddle, get going with your job again. We have that kind of attitude, and the grieving process takes much longer than three days. And it's not really one that we talk about very much. We're uncomfortable around grieving. So I wrote the book because I wanted to help those people who are grieving a significant loss, but I also want to help the loved ones around them, the people who don't know what to say, the people who maybe haven't experienced a major loss yet, but they are pretty sure that someday someone they love will leave them or perhaps a job that they love won't be possible anymore. So I really wrote it for that audience as well. You call it a midlife maze. What's the significance of the maze in terms of midlife? I found it quite fascinating. Well, I find that the grieving process has lots of starts and stops. And if you've ever gone through a maze, you don't really know what's coming next. You don't know when you turn one corner where it's going to take you. And I think the grieving process is a lot like a maze. I think that when you start out, you have a lot of sadness. You may have a lot of anger, but that's not the only thing that you have. You have a lot of longing. You have a lot of mixed-up feelings. So in going through a grieving process, it is maze-like. Your emotions are confusing, and they change a lot. So it seemed to me that a maze was a good descriptor of what a grieving process looks like. And it's a good descriptor, too, of what midlife 
can be like because, as you say, there's very little to go on. There's no manual from you know managing midlife. It's interesting that we go from adolescence to gerontology. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> and kind of leave out those whole middle years. Maybe we assume everybody's too busy to fool with studying it. I, I, it, it, it it's an interesting thing. Uh, well, that's true. People are busy in midlife. That That is true. You have three parts to your book, and I, I loved this. I, I really want you to talk about it. One, the first part is there's a hole in the bucket. Two, with what shall I fix it? And three, before kicking the bucket, grab your bucket list and enjoy. Why a bucket? What prompted you to use a bucket as your primary, um, I guess, mental graphic here? Well, I guess the bucket idea started out with me thinking about how you lose part of the dreaming that you had when you were younger. Most of us have some pretty wonderful dreams. Oh, I'm going to do this. Oh, I'm going to do that. And then let's say it is the loss of a special person in your life. It it could be a sibling, it could be your spouse or partner. All of those dreams that you had along with this partner are dashed. So the bucket list, which we often refer to these days, that bucket list doesn't exist anymore. And that's how I came to this notion of using a bucket. And it wasn't too long after that that I recalled the old song, There's a Hole in the Bucket, Dear Liza, Dear Liza, There's a Hole in the Bucket. And it's impossible to fix the hole if you know that old-fashioned song. You really have to start over. That hole in your life that hole from the loss is a significant one, and it is not an easy fix. So you have double grieving on this. You've lost a loved one, and you've lost your dream. That's correct. So where do you start unraveling that? I mean, really, I've done a good bit of grief work, and I worked with a grief blog. Um, Now it's not that anymore, but... You know, I hadn't really thought of the fact that you've lost your dream or part of your goals in your own life when you lose someone of significance. You know, where do, where do you even start? Well, I think that people start at different places. But one place that I started after the sudden loss of my wonderful husband I was just shattered, and one day it occurred to me that I could follow some of my own good advice that I had given other people, and that was to keep a gratitude journal. It's a simple practice, but it has enormous benefits. So the way you do it is to keep some paper or special little book at your bedside, and every night before you go to sleep, 
write down two or three things that you're grateful for. And they don't have to be big ones, but it serves a double purpose because it helps you fall asleep because you're thinking about what you were grateful for. You're in a positive mood remembering what happened during that day that you're grateful for. And the next day, let's say it's a challenging day. Let's say it's one of those days when you feel lost in an emotional maze of too many conflicting feelings. You might say to yourself, oh, I need to make a turn here in my mind. I need to think about something that I'm grateful for today because when I get to bedtime, I have to have something to write down. I found in keeping a gratitude journal for an entire year after my husband died, I found it to be enormously helpful. I did it a second year, the year after my father died, and it was just as helpful the second time around. So that's one very simple practice. And I know there are many, many more. It's time for us to go to break. When we come back, we're going to be talking more about this wonderful book on midlife crisis and grieving. So stay tuned. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Are you looking for life's answers? How about the meaning of true self? Can you really be a better person overnight? Well, good luck with that. Now, if you want to know more about this insane world and life we lead, tune in to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. You'll learn about how the brain operates under different psychological conditions, some common sense. Heck, you might just actually learn something. Listen Fridays at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Empowerment. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. Tune in to the Self-Improvement Show with your host, Dr. Irene Conlon. Got a question for Irene or her guests? Call into our live show at 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Connect with Irene via email. Our address is theselfimprovementblog at gmail.com. Now, let's get back to the Self-Improvement Show. Here again is Dr. Irene Conlon. Welcome back to the Self-Improvement Show. My guest today is Janice Johnson. We're talking about mid, the midlife maze and grieving some of the losses that you experience during this time of life. And when we talk about grieving, many people think of Elizabeth Kubler-Ross's stages of grief. Oh, you know, how, how do you approach grief and grieving in terms of what people are going to be experiencing and how you help them? That's a really good question. 
I think a lot of people have heard of Elizabeth Kubler-Ross and her stage theory. She has five stages, and um, just for purposes of remembering them, I, I will list them, but please do not consider that you start with the first one and end with the last <laughs> one. Please view these five stages more as a circle, that they are truly circular or reoccurring. So um, according to Dr. Ross, some of the things that you might experience would be denial, anger, bargaining, depression, acceptance. However, it was years later that Dr. Kubler-Ross realized people were thinking of the stages as you have to start with denial and go one, two, three, four, five in a linear fashion. But that's not how it works for people. In fact, you might not experience each and every one of these stages. For example, some people don't go through an angry stage. They might go through the others, but it's not in a particular order. In fact, she saw this as maybe your feelings would last for minutes or hours or days, and you might go back again to feeling denial or bargaining at some later time. So in looking at what was out in the literature for describing stages of grieving, I came upon a developmental model of grieving that I just love. It's called the pinwheel model of bereavement. And it's based upon the nursing research of Susan Carter and the clinical work of Anne Solari Fottle. Um, she goes by the name Phyllis. These nurses really seem to capture that back and forth kind of process that is so common in grieving. If you picture a pinwheel, it's kind of a fragile thing, and um, it's a toy. It's, it's small. But if you picture a toy pinwheel that is set into motion by some kind of windy loss. Picture then the center or the anchor of that pinwheel as your personal history. So a lot of your grieving process will depend upon how much core resilience or what I would call self-territory you have established prior to the loss, that can help you out. But truly, there are many, many stages. For example, some of the ones that these nurses talked about were hurting emotions, yearning emotions, feeling that there is a hole in your life, a kind of holding desire. You want to hold on to what was good before 
valuing, um, releasing, being able to understand that sometimes it's time to let go, reaching out, looking for new relationships. So in other words, there are more stages, if you will, and of course there is no particular order because each and every person grieves in a unique way. There's no set way. And probably the most important thing to understand is that grieving is actually a healing kind of process. It is not pathological. It would be nice if everybody understood that, wouldn't it? (laughs) It really would be nice. (laughs) It really would be nice. I would love to have my book be an auxiliary text in psychology classes because I think we need to be teaching this. Oh, I totally think we need to be teaching this, as well as the fact that we're each so unique you know, so individual that one size doesn't fit all, even when it comes to how we go about grieving. Mm-hmm. And, and I think your book handles that so well. You talk a good bit about rediscovering purpose uh, and and how it includes meeting five basic needs. Talk about the five basic needs that you've identified that people need to deal with during this grieving process. And I'm assuming that when when we're talking about grieving, we're talking about not just grieving a death, but grieving any kind of loss. Yes, we are. We are talking about grieving a job loss or grieving a divorce or separation. Yes, we are talking about lots of kinds of loss. The five basic needs that I have determined after working for years with first children and teachers as a school psychologist and then children and their parents as a family therapist, I think... Again, we need to consider that our needs are not one, two, three, four, five, although you need to have some way of remembering them. So I have set up a way <laughs> to try and hold on to them in your memory, but they don't just travel in one direction. So here they are. I have labeled them A, B, C, D, E, but I start with E. So if you think about the fingers on your hand, think about your thumb as being E. E stands for energy. I think a basic need for all of us is to have a nutritious diet, to get enough sleep, to have exercise every day. Basic energy needs are so important. Picture your index finger as D. D is discipline. And what I mean by discipline is how do you have the discipline to get yourself up on time for either school or work? How do you have the discipline 
to be able to do a good job in raising children, that sometimes means you might have to hold your tongue and not say the first thing that you think. Discipline is an incredibly important need because it helps with just about every other need. Think of your middle finger, and here I'm giving the middle finger a whole <laughs> other connotation from what we I love that. <laughs> <laughs> so think of C for the middle finger that stands for creativity. I really see creativity as a basic need. Little children are so creative. In fact, we have kindergarten for them where we have toys in addition to paper and pencils because there are lots of ways to learn and creative ways of learning are some of the most fun ways. But it's not just that kids have creativity. Adults have it too, only sometimes they get too busy and they forget all about it. And I can tell you that in the grieving process, a lot of adults forget about being creative. It just goes out the window, and yet it can be one of the most helpful things in a grieving process if you meet your needs for creativity. Picture, then, the ring finger as be or belonging. We all have to belong to a tribe or more than one tribe. Our family is one tribe. Maybe our colleagues at work make up another tribe, our neighborhood. All of these different social groupings are so important. And finally, the little finger. Make that an A that stands for ability, meeting your potential, meeting your ability needs. So if you've noticed, We've got the A, B, C, D, E's, but they're just reversed. And it's a way to try and remember the five needs, but not that they follow in a certain order. So once again, we have E, energy, D, discipline, C, creativity, B, belonging, A, ability. And it's kind of a reworking of Maslow and his hierarchy. Except they're much more down to earth. And what they say to me, and I don't, you know, they, I would think they speak differently to each one of us, but it's life goes on. You still Absolutely. have to eat. You still have to take care of yourself. You still, ha- you know, have to find new ways to deal with all that's happened, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Um, I, I found them very realistic, very down to earth. You know, sometimes I still grapple with self-realization and what all that means. <laughs> but your ABCs, I can certainly get. <laughs> well, I'm trying to make it user-friendly. <laughs> <laughs> I would say it is. And and I, yeah, I know people get stuck in some of these. Sometimes people don't feel like eating anything or even go getting up and and, and you know getting into a day. You are uh, so right. They just can't the- face. Yes. One of the problems with this grieving process is that you forget about taking care of yourself. And I think having these A, B, C, D, E's, hopefully you can commit those to memory. And every day you want to meet some of your energy needs. 
some of your discipline needs, some of your creativity. We need to have creativity every single day. It might be just a small piece of the day because let's say you go to work and you don't find your work terribly creative. There must be some way you can get creativity into your day. It's so and important. You're, you're, you're your fourth day into grieving, <laughs> and you're back at work. It kind, <laughs> yeah. kind of boggles your mind when you realize some of the things that's happened to people. Yes. One of the things you said that I absolutely love is no one is required to experience a full-blown midlife crisis. <laughs> Even when things happen? Even when things happen. So the midlife crisis is something that we joke about a lot. However, it's not as frequent as you might guess. And this is the hope, I think, for people who are grieving. Actually there is a lot of learning that can happen in this life change period of time. You can use those broken dreams that you had, that bucket list that you had to throw away. You can use that as a kind of fertilizer for making a new bucket list. And I think that when you understand that you have inside of you a place where you can be calm, where you can absolutely feel that you are okay. Given whatever has happened, you, yourself, are okay, and you can move forward. There is just a whole lot of learning in life, and if you embrace that learning, you can move forward, and who knows what you might be able to accomplish, but many people have been able to accomplish great things. So in the book, you'll see not just snippets of my clients grappling with all kinds of loss, but you will also hear the stories of some famous people who had incredible loss. One that I'm thinking of is Christopher Reeve, Superman, who I just don't know how it could happen, but he was riding a horse and he fell off and became a quadriplegic. It seems impossible that the man that we imagined in our fantasy and at the movies, flying and saving everyone, had this horrific thing happen to him. It was an incredible loss of his bodily strength. And yet, he chose to keep on working. He was a champion of stem cell research. He did special programs to try and help other people who were in his same predicament. He accomplished things that were perhaps so much greater than being good entertainment for people, as 
the actor of Superman. So that's just one example, but there are many people who picked themselves up, who found a new way to live. Can people who don't have a clear self-identity and some established purpose respond to this kind of loss um, with any kind of equilibrium? Yes, I believe that they can. I think that there are lots of ways that people can recover and rediscover. Some people choose to see a therapist. Other people, maybe because of financial considerations or they don't have a mental health clinic with a sliding fee scale in their community, they just don't have access to either a social worker or psychologist or pastoral counselor who might help them, I believe that they can pick themselves up. In fact, I would hope that this book might help some people pick themselves up because there are so many different ways that you can process your own grieving. Another simple technique I'm going to describe it as simple, but I understand that it's challenging and maybe not so simple. But a lot of people find their resilience through mindfulness, mindfulness meditation. And it sounds easy to be (laughs) able to close your eyes, have deep breaths, and clear your mind of confusing thoughts, but it's a bit challenging. And so one of the ways to make it happen is through counting. I want to talk a little more about mindfulness and about personality map. It's time for us to go to break. Oh, Um, okay. So let's, let's do that now. When we come back, we're going to talk more about mindfulness. We're going to talk about a personality map. Stay tuned. Janice Johnson and I will be right back with more. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Get inspired, encouraged, and connected on our lively, award-winning, healthy living power hour, Star Style. Be the star you are with host and empowerment architect, Cynthia Bryan. Live every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Tune in to the Power Party for positive, uplifting, life-changing talk radio. Visit StarStyleRadio.com. tuned in 
to The Self-Improvement Show with your host, Dr. Irene Conlon. Got a question for Irene or her guests? Call into our live show at 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Connect with Irene via email. Our address is theselfimprovementblog at gmail.com. Now, let's get back to The Self-Improvement Show. Here again is Dr. Irene Conlon. Welcome back to the Self-Improvement Show. This is Irene Conlon. My guest today is Janice Johnston. We're talking about grieving and midlife crisis. You know, what an incredibly important topic for so many of us. We were talking about mindfulness just before the break, and I interrupted you, Janice. Uh, finish your thought on the importance of mindfulness. Okay. I think there are lots of ways to participate in meditation, but the simple way of learning is to focus on your breath and to just count. So choose either your in-breath or your out-breath and say one. The next breath, two. Up to five, and when you get to five, don't keep going. (laughs) Also, if you find yourself at eight, uh, it's okay. (laughs) Then start over, because it's not about, oh, can I get to 100? Because there will be thoughts that come into your mind, and you just say, let it go. Oh, let it go. And go back to counting, because there's so much research about the benefits of quieting your mind, and just coming back to a calm, collected feeling of, this is myself. I am here. I am in the present moment. So that's the the quick way of describing it, but there's a lot more written about it in the book. In the book. How can people find you, and how can they get your book? It is on Amazon. That is probably um, the most common way that people would get it. It is also on my publisher's online presence, Roman and Littlefield. It is also Barnes and Noble online. So there, there are several channels for people to get the book. And they can find, if they forget, they can go to the self-improvement blog. The, the link, I think, is there. Certainly the name of the book is there. There's a picture of the book even. So, you know, by all means, get this book. It's so good for more things than just grieving. A lot of wonderful ideas in this book. One of the things you talk about a good bit is a personality map as a tool for healing. Tell us about a personality map. What is it? I know, um, I don't, we can't really go into how you do it, but tell us as much as you can right now. I'm so glad you're, you're interested in personality mapping because I find it enormously helpful. I think that we create personal maps every single day to try and meet our five basic needs, but we're generally not conscious of it. So to actually draw a personality map makes this a much more conscious kind of effort. I suggest just taking a piece of typing paper, the regular size, but if you want to 
draw on something else, a bigger piece of paper, that's fine also. So you want to have some markers or crayons or colored pencils because actually the color part turns out to be interesting as well. One starts in the middle of the page, and the first thing to draw is a self-representation. So if you think about those old-fashioned maps, those AAA maps that we used to carry in our cars before we all had GPS, yep. you would have a star that would be the capital of your state. Now, a star does not really convey a city. It's just a representation. So what could you draw that would be yourself? I give examples of what a number of clients drew when they wanted to represent that calm, centered core. It could be anything. I can tell you that children very frequently, especially girl children, draw hearts, and they make them pink, or they make them red, or they make them purple. It's so common for little girls to start a map like that. So maps can be absolutely any age. But whatever you draw, label itself, S-E-L-F, and then around that core of calmness, you draw the parts or roles of yourself that pretty much make your day. So one person drew steward. She sees herself as a steward for children, and she made it purple. Now, did it look like a steward? No, it was a symbol. Another person drew spirituality, had a little shape, made it yellow. Hmm. A person drew the flexible roll, made it a purple pretzel. But it doesn't matter what occurs to you. It's very much an intuitive thing. Most people come up with some kind of a design, and it could be abstract. It, it could be um, triangles and, and circles or interlocking geometric designs. Or it could be, like the pretzel, it could be something that is an everyday kind of item, perhaps in your own kitchen. So around this centered self, you have all of these different aspects of you. And of course, the grieving person will have sadness, maybe depression, maybe anger, maybe guilt. If I only had... But what you will see very quickly about this personality map is that you don't have to be grieving (laughs) to have all of those aspects of yourself. In fact, all of us might have those aspects. But the way we handle them is very different. And 
the important thing about a personality map is that it is a snapshot at one point in your life. If you make a map and then six months later revisit that map, you're going to realize, oh, that isn't so prominent for me anymore. That, that guilt part, I made it really big. I don't have that much guilt at the moment. I could make that really, really small. And it's fascinating how much a concrete map can be helpful in terms of seeing where you are and, more importantly, where you want to go in your life. So, actually, it would be helpful for any of us to do a personality map. It would be helpful for any of us. Correct. <laughs> Talk about turn tips. You have turn tips at the end of every chapter. Mm-hmm. Now, why the, why the, the word turn? I understand tips. Some of your questions, by the way, are quite profound. <laughs> Everybody should deal with some of these questions. But talk about your turn tips. Okay. Well, we could call loss, and again, we're dealing with any kind of loss. could be loss of your own good health, or it could be the loss of someone you love, um, either their good health or their death, you could call these things traumatic or you going through the grieving process, you are dealing with trauma. And while that would be a true statement, you might also look at that very same situation and call it a turning point. When you call something a turning point, it has that notion of forward movement. Yes, I am in a turning point, and I don't know where I'm going, kind of like that maze idea. I don't know what's around the next corner when I make a turn. But the idea of a turning point has some hope attached to it. Hope is a really important thing. You never want to disregard it. It's there. So the turn tips are all about how can you turn yourself into a direction of rediscovering who are you? And perhaps you're a different person after experiencing this loss. I know I was. I know that my clients were. Turning is hopeful. And so the turn tips are all about hope. Some people like to do exercises in a book. Other people just skip over them. That's okay. It's up to each person what makes sense. But I suggest keeping a turn journal So there are two exercises in every chapter, and if you keep a turn journal, you jot down some of the ideas that you gather chapter by chapter, and I think it will be a pretty rich journal. One of the things you mentioned, and we're we're really getting close to the end of the show, but I think I, I want you to touch on it briefly anyway, is a growth 
mindset. Mm-hmm. What is a growth mindset and why is it so important in coping with midlife stress and loss? Great question. The person who did research on mindsets is a psychologist by the name of Carol Dweck. That's spelled D-W-E-C-K. She's at Stanford University. And she talks about people either having a growth mindset or a fixed mindset. For example, if you have a fixed mindset, you might say to yourself, I'll never get better. Let's say you have a physical problem. What if Christopher Reeve had said, I'll never get better? If he had had a fixed mindset, he wouldn't have been able to champion all of the causes that he worked on while he was wheelchair-bound. He is a good example of a person who had a growth mindset where regardless of what happened, what loss you encountered, you intend to keep growing. And again, that's about hope. It's interesting that the psychologist, Carol Dweck, realized that in her research, she had a few fixed mindsets as well. So it's possible that you have a fixed mindset about one topic and then you have a growth mindset about another. So it's not exactly an either or. But I think it's an important concept because... If you are stuck, and that's what the fixed mindset is all about, you don't see yourself as rediscovering. And I truly believe that you can rediscover not just who you are, but how you might help other people, because that's part of a grieving process, too, to not... self-absorbed. And Janice, on that note, we're going to have to say goodbye. I can't think of a better way to end than by telling people they need a, a growth mindset. Thank you so much for being with us today. I really appreciate your work so much. I encourage the listeners to get your book um, immediately. <laughs> and again, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you. It's been a pleasure, Irene. This is Irene Conlon and my guest Janice Johnson saying thank you so much for being with us today. Come back again next week for more of the Self-Improvement Show. Thank you again for joining Dr. Irene Conlon for the Self-Improvement Show. Please listen again next Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Remember that improvement out there starts in here.